Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we're going to read chapters 25 to 26, and in the previous episode, we read chapters 23 to 24. Now, in the previous episode, um, the ship, uh, the, the Argo II ship had been attacked by a giant squid. Unfortunately, this ship had not been able to, I guess, it had uh, tilted a few times, and unfortunately, it had led to Frank, Leo, Hazel, and Percy being thrown overboard into the water. Um, and then they wake up to be apparently being captured by a couple of, um, by a couple of very, uh, by a couple of trainers, camp directors apparently, um, Afros and Bythos. Um, they are the camp directors of the uh, mermaid camp, mermaid slash mermen camp, and basically they they uh, train the heroes of the water, heroes of the ocean, all of that. Um, they had trained Triton, uh, heroes like them, and basically they were unsure whether the group was a threat to their camp or not um after a few questions and everything they finally found out that they were not a threat and they even helped them when they sent them out and they gave them a few helpful tips and resources so i thought that that was really pretty neat to see overall um but yeah now we're gonna see what, how they're going to rekindle with their the rest of their group and how fixing the ship is gonna go but other than that uh before we move on to the chapter, I would like to say I do acknowledge and I do read all of you guys' feedback. So thank you very much on that. Thank you very much on helping me with these pronunciations. It's because of you guys that I'm actually able to learn on how to do these pronunciations accurately. And sometimes I may not uh, pronounce it the right way, um, even if you may have written it in the feedback. And, um, you know, sometimes it just slips my mind. So I truly you know, I, I do want to say thank you all for your feedback and everything, even if it's not for pronunciations, even if it's for the podcast in general. I really do appreciate it. I am try- uh, taking all of them into account and trying to improve it to be the best it can be because this podcast is to entertain you guys. It's to make you guys feel like you finally have somewhere to maybe listen to and kind of get um, sort of, you know, a bit more entertainment when it, and a bit more enjoyment when it comes to reading these books as if you know these don't provide en- enough enjoyment already so i would really like to say thank you guys so much for providing the feedback thank you guys for listening to this podcast it really makes me it truly makes me feel that you know i'm you know making you guys really happy and i really want to strive to continue to make you all really really happy and really satisfied after you listen to an episode and you just you you just go i want more So I'm very happy and I really hope that I can continue to help you guys out and continue to make this the best podcast ever. So with that said, um, I will continue to train on my pronunciations. I may also, you may also hear different um, voice enunciations um, or voice inflections uh, while I'm reading this book because I want to be able to um, provide a different voice for each of the characters uh, because they all have different personalities as well as, um, you know, try and make them sound different from each other. So if you guys hear some differences, um, just know that maybe I'm experimenting a little bit to see how this goes. And again, feedback is much, much appreciated. So if you guys would continue doing that, I'd really appreciate it.
thank you guys once again just wanted to say that before we move on to this so other than that without further ado let's get into this chapter chapter 25 piper piper had a new entry in her top 10 list of times piper felt useless fighting shrimpzilla with a dagger and a pretty voice not so effective then the monster had sunk into the deep and disappeared along with three of her friends and she'd been powerless to help them afterward annabeth coach hedge and buford the table rushed around repairing things so that the ship wouldn't sink percy despite being exhausted searched the ocean for their missing friends jason also exhausted flew around the rigging like a blonde peter pan putting out fires from the second green explosion that had lit up the sky just above the mainmast as for piper all she could do was stare at her knife catoptrus trying to locate leo hazel and frank the only images that came to her were ones she didn't want to see three black suvs driving north from charleston packed with roman demigods reyna sitting at the wheel of the lead lead car giant eagles escorted them from above every so often purple glowing purple spirits and ghostly chariots appeared out of the countryside and fell in behind them thun- thundering up i-95 toward new york and camp half-blood piper concentrated harder she saw the nightmarish images she had seen before the human-headed bull rising from the water then the dark well-shaped room filled with black water as jason percy and she struggled to stay afloat she sheathed catoptrus wondering how helen of troy had stayed sane during the trojan war if this blade had been her only source of news then she remembered that everyone around helen had been slaughtered by the invading greek army maybe she hadn't stayed sane by the time the sun rose none of them had slept percy had scoured the seafloor and found nothing the argo ii was no longer in danger of sinking though without leo they couldn't do full repairs the ship was capable of sailing but no one suggested leaving the area not without their friends piper and annabeth sent a dream vision to camp haplet warning chiron of what had happened with the romans at fort sumter annabeth explained her exchange of words with reyna Piper relayed the vision from her knife about the SUVs racing north. The kindly centaur's face seemed to age 30 years during the course of their conversation, but he assured them he would see to the defenses of the camp. Tyson, Mrs. O'Leary, and Ella had arrived safely. If necessary, Tyson could summon an army of cyclops to the camp's defense. And Ella and Rachel Dare were already comparing prophecies, trying to learn more about what the future held. The job of the seven demigods aboard the Argo II, Chiron reminded them, was to finish the quest and come back safely. After the Iris message, the demigods paced the deck in silence, staring at the water and hoping for a miracle. When it finally came, three giant pink bubbles bursting at the surface of the starboard bow and ejecting Frank, Hazel, and Leo, Piper went a little crazy. She cried out with a relief and dove straight into the water. What was she thinking? She didn't take a rope or a life vest or anything. But at the moment she was just so happy that she paddled over to Leo and kissed him on the cheek, which kind of surprised him. <laughs> "Miss me?" Leo laughed. Piper Piper was suddenly furious. "Where were you? How are you guys alive?" "Long story," he said. A picnic basket bobbed to the surface next to him. "Want a brownie?" Once they got on board and changed into dry clothes, Frank had to borrow a pair of two small pants from Jason. 
The crew all gathered on the quarterdeck for cel- for a celebratory breakfast, except for Coach Hedge, who grumbled that the atmosphere was getting too cuddly for his taste and went below to hammer out some dents in the hull. While Leo fussed over his helm controls, Hazel and Frank related the story of the fish centaurs in their training camp. <laughs> Incredible, Jason said. These are really good brownies. That's your only comment? Piper demanded. He looked surprised. What? I heard the story. Fish centaurs, centaurs, people. letter of intro to the Tiber River God. Got it, but these brownies. Why no? Frank said his mouth full. Try them with Esther's peach preserves. That, Hazel said, is incredibly disgusting. Pass me the jar, man, Jason said. Hazel and Piper exchanged a look of total exasperation. Boys. Percy, for his part, wanted to keep every detail about the aquatic camp. He kept coming back to one point. They didn't want to meet me? It wasn't It wasn't that, Hazel said. Just undersea politics, I guess. The more people, the more people are ter- territorial. The good news is they are taking care of that aquarium in Atlanta, and they'll help protect the Argo II as we cross the Atlantic. Percy nodded absently. But they didn't want to meet me? Emmett swatted his arm. Come on, seaweed brain, we've got other things to worry about. She's right, Hazel said. After today, Nico has less than two days. The fish centaur said we have to rescue him. He's essential to quest somehow. She looked around defensively, as if waiting for someone to argue. No one did. Piper tried to imagine what Nico D'Angelo was feeling, stuck in a jar with only two pomegranate seeds left to sustain him, and no idea whether he would be rescued. It made Piper anxious to reach Rome, even though she had a troubled feeling. She had a horrible feeling. She was sailing toward her own sort of prison. A dark room filled with water. Nico must have information about the doors of death, Piper said. We'll save him, Hazel. We can make it in time. Right, Leo? What? Leo tore his eyes away from the controls. Oh, yeah. We should reach the Mediterranean tomorrow morning? Then spend the rest of that day sailing to Rome. Or flying. Uh, if I can get the stabler as a fix by then. Jason suddenly looked at as though his brownie with peach preserves didn't taste so good. Which will put us in Rome on the last possible day for Nico. 24 hours to find him, at most. Percy crossed his legs. And that's the only part of the problem. There's the mark of Athena, too. Amba didn't seem happy with the change of topic. She rested her hand on her backpack, which, since they left Charleston, she always seemed to have with her. She opened the bag and brought out a thin bronze disc, the diameter of a donut. This is the map I found that I found at Fort Sumter. It's... She stopped abruptly, uh, staring at the smooth bronze surface. It's blank! Percy took it and examined both sides. It wasn't like this earlier? No! I was looking at it in my cabin and... Emmett muttered under her breath. It must be like the Mark of Athena. I can only see it when I'm alone. It won't show itself to other demigods. Frank scooted back like the disc might explode. He had an orange juice mustache and a brownie crumb beard that made Piper want to hand him a napkin. What did it have on it? Frank asked nervously. And... What is the mark of Athena? I still don't get it. 
Abbott took the disc from Percy. She turned it into sunlight, but it remained blank. The map was hard to read, but it showed a spot on the Tiber River in Rome. I think that's where my quest starts. The path I've got to take to follow the mark. Maybe that's why you... Maybe that's why you... Where you met, meet the river god Tiberinus. Piper said, but what is the mark? The coin, Annabeth murmured. Percy frowned. What coin? Annabeth dug into her pocket and brought out a silver drachma. I've been carrying this ever since I saw my mom at Grand Central. It's an Athenian coin. She passed it around. While each demigod looked at it, Piper had a ridiculous memory of show and tell in elementary school. An owl, Leo noted. Well, that makes sense. I guess the branch is an olive branch. But what's this inscription? A-O-E? Area of effect? It's Alpha, Theta, Epsilon. Abbott said. In Greek, it stands for of the Athenians. Or you could read it as the children of Athena. It's sort of the Athenian motto. Like SPQR for the Romans, Piper guessed. Annabeth nodded. Anyway, the mark of Athena is an owl, just like that one. It appears in fiery red. I've seen it in my dreams. Then twice at Fort Sumter. She described what had happened at the fort. The voice of Gaia, the spiders in the garrison, the marks burning them away. Piper could tell it wasn't easy for her to talk about. Percy took Annabeth's hand. I should have been there for you. But that's the point, Annabeth said. No one can be there for me. When I get to Rome, I'll have to strike out on my own. Otherwise, the mark won't appear. I'll have to follow it to... to its source. Frank took the coin from Leo. He stared at the owl. The giant's bane stands golden pale, one with pain from a woven jail. He looked up at Annabeth. What is it? This thing at the source? Before Annabeth could answer, Jason spoke up. A statue, he said. A statue of Athena, at least. That's my guess. Piper frowned. You said you didn't know. I don't. But the more I think about it, there's only one artifact that could fit the legend. He turned to Annabeth. I'm sorry. I should have told you everything I've heard much earlier. But honestly, I was scared. If this legend is true... I know, Annabeth said. I figured it out, Jason. I don't blame you. But if we manage to save the statue, Greek and Romans together... Don't you see? It could heal the rift. Hold on! Percy made a timeout gesture. What statue? Emma took back the silver coin and slipped it into her par- pocket. The Athena, uh, the Athena Parthenos, she said. The most famous Greek statue of all time. It was 40 feet tall, covered in ivory and gold. It stood in the middle of the Parthenon in Athens. The ship went silent, except for the waves lapping against the hull. Okay, I'll bite, Leo said at last. What happened to it? It disappeared, Emma said. Leo frowned. How does a 40-foot-tall statue in the middle of the Parthenon just disappear? That's a good question, Annabeth said. It's one of the biggest mysteries in history. Some people thought the statue was melted down for its gold or destroyed by invaders. Athens was sacked a number of times. Some thought the statue was carried off by Romans. Jason finished. At least that's one theory, and it fits the legend I heard at Camp Jupiter. 
To break the Greek spirits, the Romans carted off the Athena Parthenos, Parthenos when they took over the city of Athens. They hid it in an underground shrine in Rome. The Roman demigods swore it would never see the light of day. They literally stole Athena so she could no longer be the symbol of Greek military power. She became Minerva, a much tamer goddess. And the children of Athena have been searching for the statue ever since. Ambit said, Most don't know about the legend, but in each generation, a few are chosen by the goddess. They're given a coin like mine. They follow the mark of Athena, a kind of magical trail that links them to the statue, hoping to find the resting place of Athena Parthenos and get the statue back. Piper watched the two of them, Annabeth and Jason, with quiet amazement. They spoke like a team, without any hostility or blame. The two of them had never really trusted each other. Piper was close enough to both of them to know that. But now, if they could discuss such a huge problem so calmly, the ultimate source of Greek-Roman hatred, maybe there was hope for the two camps, after all. Percy seemed to be having similar, thro- similar thoughts, judging from his surprised expression. So if we, I mean you, find the statue, what will we do with it? Could we even move it? I'm not sure, Annabeth admitted, but if we could save it somehow, we could unite the two camps. It could heal my mother of this hatred she's got, tearing her two aspects apart. And maybe, maybe the statue has some sort of power that could help us against the giants. Piper stared at Annabeth with awe, just starting to appreciate the huge responsibility her friend has taken on. And Annabeth meant to do it alone. This could change everything, Piper said. It could end thousands of years of hostility. It might be the key to to defeating Gaia. But if we can't help you... She didn't finish, but the question seemed to be hanging hanging in the air. Was saving the statue even possible? Annabeth squared her shoulders. Piper knew she must be terrified inside, but she did a good job hiding it. I have to succeed. Annabeth said simply, the risk is worth it. Hazel trolled her hair pensively. I don't like the idea of you risking your life alone, but you're right. We saw what recovering the Golden Eagle standard did for the Roman Legion. If this statue is the most powerful symbol of Athena ever created, it could kick some serious booty, Leo offered. Hazel frowned. That that wasn't the way I'd put it, but yes. Except... Percy took Annabeth's hand again. No child of Athena has ever found it. Annabeth, what's down there? What's guarding it? If it's got to do with spiders. One through pain from a woven one from a woven jail, Frank recalled. Woven? Like webs? Annabeth's face turned as white as printer paper. Piper suspected that Annabeth knew what awaited her, or at least that she had a very good idea. She was trying to hold down a wave of panic and terror. We'll deal with that when we get to Rome, Piper suggested, putting a little charm speak in her voice to soothe her friend's nerves. It's going to work out. Annabeth is going to kick some serious booty, too. You'll see. Yeah, uh, Percy said. I learned a long time ago. Never bet against Annabeth. Annabeth looked at them both gratefully. Judging from their half-eaten breakfasts, breakfasts the others still felt uneasy leo but leo managed to shake them out of it 
He pushed a button and a loud blast of steam exploded from Hephaestus' mouth, making everyone jump. Well, he said, good pep rally, everyone, good pep rally, but there's still a ton of things to fix on the ship before we get to the Mediterranean. Please report to Supreme Commander Leo for your super fun list of chores. Piper and Jason took charge of cleaning the lower deck, which had been thrown into chaos during the monster attack. Reorganizing sick bay and battening down the storage area took them most of the day, but Piper didn't mind. For one thing, she got to spend time with Jason. For another, last night's explosions had given Piper a healthy respect for Greek fire. She didn't want any loose vials of that stuff rolling around through the corridors in the middle of the night. As they were fixing up the stables, Piper thought about the night Annabeth and Percy had spent down here accidentally. Piper wished that she could talk with Jason all night, just curl up on the stable floor and enjoy being with him. Why didn't they get to break the rules? But Jason wasn't like that. He was hardwired to be a leader and set a good example. Breaking the rules didn't come natural to him. No doubt, Raina admired that about him. Piper did him too, mostly. The one time she'd convinced him to be a rebel was back at the wilderness school, when they had sneaked onto the roof at night to watch a meteor shower. That's where they'd had their first kiss. Fortunately, the memory was a trick of the mist, a magical lie implanted in her head by Hera. Piper and Jason were together now, in real life, but their relationship had been founded on an illusion. If Piper tried to get the real Jason to sneak out at night, would he do it? He swept the hay into piles. Jason fixed a broken door on one of the stables. The glass floor hatch glowed from the ocean below. A green expense of light and shadow that seemed to go down forever. Piper kept glancing over, afraid she'd see a monster's face peeping in or the water cannibals from her grandfather's old stories. But all she saw was an occasional school of herring. As she watched Jason work, she admired how easily he did each task. Whether it was fixing a door or oiling saddles, it wasn't just his strong arms and his skillful hands, though Piper liked those just fine. But the way he acted so upbeat and confident. He did what needed to be done without complaint. He kept his sense of humor, despite the fact that the guy had to be dead on his feet after not having slept the night before. Piper couldn't blame Reyna for having a crush on him. When it came to work and duty, Jason was Roman to the core. Piper thought about her mother's tea party in Charleston. She wondered what the goddess had told Reyna a year ago, and what it had changed the way Reyna treated Jason. Had Aphrodite encouraged or discouraged her to like Jason? Piper wasn't sure. But she wished her mom hadn't appeared in Charleston. Regular mothers were embarrassing enough. Gl- godly glamour moms who invited your friends over for tea and guy talk? That was just mortifying. Aphrodite had paid so much attention to Annabeth and Hazel and made Piper uneasy. When her mom got interested, interested in somebody's love life, usually that was a bad sign. It meant trouble was coming, or as Aphrodite would say, twists and turns. But also Piper was secretly hurt not to have her mother to herself. Aphrodite had barely looked at her. She hadn't said a word about Jason. She hadn't bothered explaining her conversation with Reyna at all. It was almost as if Aphrodite no longer found Piper interesting. Piper had gotten her guy. Now it was up to her to make things work, and Aphrodite had moved on to newer gossip as easily as she might toss out an old copy of a tabloid magazine. All of you are such excellent stories, Aphrodite had said. I mean, girls. Piper hadn't appreciated that, but part of her had thought, fine, I don't want to be part of a story. I want a nice, steady life with a nice, steady boyfriend. If only she knew about making relationships work. She was supposed to be an expert, being the head counselor for Aphrodite Cabin. Other campers at Camp Half-Blood came to her for advice all the time. 
Piper had tried to do her best, but with her own boyfriend, she was clueless. She was constantly second-guessing herself, reading too much into Jason's expressions, his moods, his offhand comments. Why did it have to be so hard? Why couldn't there be a heavily after, happily ever after, right into the sunset feeling all the time? What are you thinking? Jason asked. Piper realized she'd be making a sour face. In the reflection of the glass bay door, she looked like she swallowed a teaspoon of salt. Nothing, she said. I mean, a lot of things, kind of all at once. Jason laughed. The scar on his lip almost disappeared when he laughed, when he smiled. Considering all the stuff he'd been through, it was amazing that he could be in such a good mood. It's going to work out, he promised. You said, you're, you said so yourself? Yeah, Piper agreed. Except, I was just saying that to make Annabeth feel better. Jason shrugged. Still, it's true. We're almost to the ancient lands. We've left the Romans behind. And now they're on their way to Camp Hapla to attack our friends. Jason hesitated as if that was hard for him to put a positive spin on that. Chiron will find a way to install them. Those Romans might take weeks to actually find the camp and plan their attack. Besides, Reyna will do what she can to slow things down. She's still on her side. I know she is. You trust her. Piper's voice sounded hollow, even to herself. Look, Pipes, I told you, you've got nothing to be jealous about. She's beautiful. She's powerful. She's so... Roman. Jason put down his hammer. He took her hand, which sent a tingle up her arm. Piper's dad had once taken her to the Aquarium of the Pacific and shown her an electric eel. He told her that the eel sends out, sent out pulses that shocked and paralyzed its prey. Every time Jason looked at her and, or touched her hand, Piper felt like that. You're beautiful and powerful, he said, and I don't want you to be Roman. I want you to be Piper. Besides, we're a team, you and me. She wanted to believe him. They've been together, really, for months now. Still, she couldn't get rid of her doubts, any more than Jason could get rid of the SBQR tattoo burned on his forearm. Above them, the ship's bell rang for dinner. Jason smirked. We better go up there. We don't want Coach Hedge try tying bells around our necks. Piper shuddered. Coach Hedge had threatened to do that after the Percy and Annabeth scandal, so he'd know if anyone sneaked out at night. Yeah, she said regretfully, looking at the glass doors below their feet. I guess we need dinner. And a good night's sleep. And that's the end of chapter 25. That certainly was a lot of uh, perspectives in one chapter, I'd like to say. I think the fact of us finding more information on the Mark of Athena really helped with that. And getting more clarity on exactly what Annabeth needs to do. And honestly, it's a huge responsibility on Annabeth. It's also really life... It's a very big risk as well. Even life-threatening it could be. Because... Annabeth may have to go through such different, such various traps. Because if we look in those, like, heist, if we look in those movies that are, like, heists and everything, and they go into these, um, and they try to, like, get treasures, there's so many booby traps and everything, right? And the same thing can happen here with Annabeth while she's trying to get to the Mark of Athena statue. And it's interesting to see how she's going to be able to navigate all the traps that no doubt the Romans have probably put in uh, while trying to get to the statue, but I really have faith in Annabeth because, you know, she is probably, her nickname is Wise Girl for a reason, so I think that she'll, we'll, she will be able to find a way through that, but 
it does sound a bit risky and kind of racks up the nerves a little bit. Especially for Annabeth, it must be racking her nerves up a lot. Um, but other than that, I think we got to learn a lot more about the relationships within this chapter and how they're developing. Um, but yeah, after the break, we'll read chapter 26 and continue on with how the ship building is going to go and any other new information we might see. Possibly if Piper and Jason might continue talking about or continue building the relationship even more. So, yeah, see you guys after the non-existent ad break. And we're back from the non-existent ad break. (laughs) But now we're going to continue with the episode with reading chapter 26, Piper. The next morning, Piper woke to a different ship's horn. A blast so loud it literally shook her out of bed. She wondered if Leo was pulling another joke. Then the horn horn boomed again. It sounded like it was coming from several hundred yards away, from another vessel. She rushed to get dressed. By the time she got up on deck, the others had already gathered, all hastily dressed except for Coach Hedge, who had pulled the night watch. Frank's Vancouver Winter Olympic shirt was inside out. Percy wore pajama pants and a bronze breastplate, which was an interesting fashion statement. Hazel's hair was all blown to one side as though she'd walked through a cyclone and Leo had accidentally set himself on fire. His t-shirt wasn't charred tatters, his arms were smoking. About a hundred yards to port, a massive cruise ship glided past. Tourists waved at them from 15 or 16 rows of balconies. Some smiled and took pictures, none of them looked surprised to see an ancient Greek trireme. Maybe the mist made it look like a fishing boat or maybe the cruisers thought the Argo II was a tourist attraction. The cruise ship blew its horn again, and the Argo II had a shaking fit. Coach Hedge plugged his ears. Do they have to be so loud? They're just saying hi, Frank speculated. What? Hedge yelled back. The ship edged past them, heading out to sea. The tourists kept waving. If they found it strange that the Argo II was populated by half-asleep kids in armor and pajamas and a man, and a man with goat legs, they didn't let on. Bye, Leo called, raising his smoking hand. Can I man the ballista? Hedge asked. <laughs> no, Leo said through a forced smile. Hazel rubbed her eyes and looked across the glittering green water. Where are... Oh, wow. Piper, follow- Piper followed her gaze and gasped. Without the cruise ship blocking their view, she saw a mountain jutting from the sea less than half a mile to the north. Piper had seen impressive cliffs before. She'd driven Highway 1 along the California coast. She'd even fallen down the Grand Canyon with Jason and flown back up, but neither was as amazing as his massive fist of blinding white rock thrust into the sky. On one side, the limestone cliffs were almost completely sheer, dropping into the sea over a thousand feet below, as near as Piper could figure. On the other side, the mountain sloped in, in tears covered in green forest so that the whole thing reminded piper of a colossal sphinx worn down over the millennia with a massive white head and chest and a green cloak over its back the rock of gibraltar 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 the rock of gibraltar the rock of gibraltar Annabeth said in awe at the tip of spain and over there she pointed south to a more distant stretch of red and ochre ochre hills That must be Africa. We're at the mouth of the Mediterranean. 
The morning was warm, but Piper shivered. Despite the wide stretch of sea in front of them, she felt like she was standing at an impassable barrier. Once in the Mediterranean, the Mare Nostrum, they would be in the ancient lands. If the legends were true, their quest would become ten times more dangerous. What now? she asked. Do we just sail in? Why not? Leo said. It's a big shipping channel. Boats go in and out all the time. Not triremes full of demigods, Piper thought. Ambeth gazed at the rock of Gibraltar. Piper recognized that broading expression on her friend's face. It almost always meant that she anticipated trouble. In the old days, Annabeth said, they called this area the Pillars of Hercules. The rock was supposed to be one pillar. The other one, other was one of the African mountains. Nobody's sure which one. Hercules, huh? Percy frowned. That guy was like the Starbucks of ancient Greece. Everywhere you turn, there he is. A thunderous boom shook the Argo II, though Piper wasn't sure where it came from from this time. She didn't see any other ships, and the skies were clear. Her mouth suddenly felt dry. So, these pillars of Hercules, are they dangerous? Emmett stayed focused on the white cliffs as if waiting for the mark of Athena to blaze to life. For Greeks, the pillars marked the end of the known world. The Romans said the pillars were inscribed with a Latin warning. Non plus ultra, Percy said. Emmett looked stunned. Yeah, nothing further beyond. How did you know? Percy pointed. Because I'm looking at it. Directly ahead of them, in the middle of the straits, an island had shimmered into existence. Piper was positive no island had been there before. It was a small, hilly mass of island of land, covered in forests and ringed with white beaches. Not very impressive compared to Gibraltar, but in front of the island, jutting from waves about a hundred yards offshore, were two white Grecian columns as tall as the Argos masts. Between the columns, huge silver words glittered underwater. Maybe an illusion, or maybe inlaid in the sand. Non plus ultra. Guys, do I turn around? Leo asked nervously, or... No one answered. Maybe because, like Piper, they had noticed a figure standing on the beach. As the ship approached the, the column, she saw a dark-haired man in purple robes, his arms crossed, staring intently at their ship as he were expecting them. Piper couldn't tell much about his posture. He wasn't happy. Frank inhaled sharply. <gasps> Could that be... Hercules... Jason said, the most powerful demigod of all time. The Ark of the Second was only a few hundred yards from the columns now. Need an answer, Leo said urgently. I can turn or we can take off. The stabilizers are working again, but I need to know quick. We have to keep going, Annabeth said. I think he's guarding these straits. If that's really Hercules, sailing or flying away would, wouldn't do any good. He'll want to talk to us. Piper resisted the urge to use charm speak. She wanted to yell at Leo, Fly! Get us out of here! Unfortunately, she had a feeling that Annabeth was right. If they wanted to pass into the Mediterranean, they couldn't avoid this meeting. Won't, won't Hercules be on her side? She asked hopefully. I mean, he's one of us, right? Jason grunted. He was a son of Zeus, but when he died, he became a god. You can never be sure with gods. Piper remembered her, their meeting with Bacchus in Kansas, another god who used to be a demigod. He hadn't exactly, he hadn't been exactly helpful. Great, Percy said. 
Summon us against Hercules. And a satyr! Edge added. We can take him. I've got a better idea, Annabeth said. We sent ambassadors ashore. A small group, one or two at most, try to talk to him. I'll go, Jason said. He's the son of Zeus, I'm the son of Jupiter. Maybe he'll be friendly to me. Or maybe he'll hate you, Percy suggested. Half-brothers don't always get along. Jason scowled. Thank you, Mr. Optimism. It's worth a shot, Annabeth said. At least Jason and Hercules have something in common. And we need our best diplomat, somebody who's good with words. All eyes turned to Piper. She tried to avoid screaming and jumping over the side, a bad premonition gnawed at her gut. But if Jason was going ashore, she wanted to be with him. Maybe this hungry, hugely powerful god would turn out to be helpful. They had to have good luck once in a while, didn't they? Fine, she said. Let me just find. Let me just change my clothes. Once Leo had anchored the Argo II between the pillars, Jason summoned the wind to carry him and Piper ashore. The man in purple was waiting for them. Piper had heard tons of stories about Hercules. She'd seen several cheesy movies and cartoons. Before today, if she had thought about him at all, she'd just roll her eyes and imagine some stupid hairy dude in his 30s with a barrel chest and a gross hippie beard, with a lion skin over his head and a big club like a caveman. She imagined he would smell bad, belch and scratch himself a lot, and speak mostly in grunts. She was not expecting this. His, face, his feet were bare, covered in white sand. His robes made him look like a priest, though Piper couldn't remember which rank of priest wore purple. Was it cardinals, bishops, and did the purple color mean he was the Roman version of Hercules rather than the Greek? His beard was fashionably scruffy, like Piper's dad's, and his actor friends wore theirs. The sort of, I just happened not to shave for two days and I still look awesome look. He was well built, but not too stocky. His ebony hair was closely cropped, Roman style. He had startling blue eyes like Jason's, but his skin was mm, coppery, as if he'd spent his entire life on a tanning bed. The most surprising thing, he looked about 20, definitely no older. He was handsome and rugged, but not at all caveman way. He did, in fact, have a club, which lay in the sand next to him, but it was more like an oversized baseball bat, a five-foot-long polished cylinder of mahogany with a leather hand grip studded in bronze coach hedge would have been jealous jason and piper landed at the edge of the surf they approached slowly careful not to make any threatening moves hercules watched them with no particular emotion as if they were some sort of seabird he had no never noticed before hello piper said always a good start what's up hercules said his voice was deep but casual very modern he could have been greeting them in the high school locker room. Uh, not much, Piper winced. Well, actually, a lot. I'm Piper. This is Jason. We... Where's your lion skin? Jason interrupted. Piper wanted to elbow him, but Hercules looked more amused than annoyed. It's 90 degrees out here, he said. Why would I wear my lion skin? Do you wear a fur coat to the beach? I guess that makes sense, Jason sounded disappointed. It's just that the pictures always show you with a lion's skin. Hercules glared at the sky accusingly like he wanted to have words with his father Zeus. Don't believe everything you hear about me. Being famous isn't as fun as you might think. Tell me about it, Piper sighed. Hercules fixed those brilliant blue eyes on her. Are you famous? My dad, he's in the movies. Hercules snarled. Don't 
get me started with the movies. Gods of Olympus, they never get anything right. Have you seen one movie about me where I look like me? Piper had to admit he had a point. I'm surprised you're so young. Ha! Being immortal helps. But yes, I wasn't so old when I died. Not by modern standards. I did a lot during my years as a hero. Too much, really. His eyes drifted as Jason. Son of Zeus, eh? Jupiter, Jason said. Not much difference, Hercules grumbled. Dad's annoying in either form. Me? I was called Heracles. Then the Romans came along and named me Hercules. I didn't really change that much. Though lately just thinking about it gives me splitting headaches. The left side of his face twitched. His robe shimmered, momentarily turning white, then back to purple. At any rate, Hercules said, if you're Jupiter's son, you might understand. It's a lot of pressure. Enough is never enough. I eventually can make a guy snap. He turned to Piper. She felt like a thousand ants were crawling up her back. But the, her back. There was a mixture of sadness and darkness in his eyes that seemed not quite sane and definitely not safe. As for you, my dear, Hercules said, be careful. Sons of Zeus can be... Mm, well, never mind. Piper wasn't sure what that meant. Suddenly she wanted to get as far from this god as possible, but she tried to maintain a calm, polite expression. So, Lord Hercules, she said, we're on a quest. We'd like permission to pass into the Mediterranean. Hercules shrugged. Ugh, that's what I that's why I'm here. After I died, Dad made me the doorkeeper of Olympus. I said, Great! Palace duty, party all the time. What he didn't mention is that I'd be stuck guarding the doors to the ancient land, stuck on this island for the rest of eternity. Lots of fun. He pointed at the pillars rising from the surf. Stupid columns. Some people claim I created the whole Strait of Gibraltar by shoving mountains apart. Some people say the mountains are the pillars. What a bunch of algean manure. The pillars are pillars. Right, Piper said. Naturally. So, can we pass? The guard scratched his fashionable beard. Well, I had to give you the standard warning about how dangerous the ancient lands are. Not just any demigod can survive the Mare Nostrum. Because of that, I have to give you a quest to complete, prove your worth, blah, blah, blah. You know, honestly, I don't make a big deal out of it. Usually, I give demigods something simple like a shopping trip, singing a funny song, or that sort of thing. After all those labors I had to complete for my evil cousin Eurystheus, well, I don't want to be that guy, you know. Appreciate it, Jason said. Hey, no problem. Hercules sounded relaxed and easygoing, but he still made Piper nervous. The dark glint in his eyes reminded her of charcoal soaked in kerosene, ready to go up at any moment's notice. So anyway, Hercules said, what's your quest? Giants, Jason said. We're off to Greece to stop them from awakening Gaia. Giants, Hercules muttered. I hate those guys. Back when I was a demigod hero. Eh, but never mind. So which god put you up to this? Dad? Athena? Maybe Aphrodite? He raised an eyebrow at Piper. As pretty as you are, I'm guessing that's your mom. Piper should have been thinking faster, but Hercules had unsettled her. Too late, she all realized the conversation had become a minefield. Hera sent us, Jason said. She brought us together to Hera. Suddenly, Hercules' expression was like the cliffs of Gibraltar, a solid, unforgiving shield of stone. We hate her here. We hate her too. We hate her too, Piper said quickly. Gods, why hadn't it occurred to her? Hera had been Hercules' mortal enemy. 
we didn't want to help her. She didn't give us much choice, but but here you are. Hercules said all friendliness gone. Sorry, you two. I don't care how worthy your quest is. I don't do anything that Hera wants. Ever. Jason looked mystified. But I thought you made up with her when you became a god. Like I said, Hercules grumbled, don't believe everything you hear. If you want to pass into the Mediterranean, I'm afraid I've got to give you an extra hard quest. But we're like brothers, Jason protested. Hera was messed with my life too. I understand. You understand nothing, Hercules said coldly. My first family, dead. My life wasted on ridiculous quests. My second wife, dead. After being tricked into poisoning me and leaving me to a painful demise. And my compensation? I got to become a minor god. Immortal, so I could never forget my pain. Stuck here as a gatekeeper, a doorman, a, a butler for the Olympians. No, you don't understand. The only god who understands me even a little bit is Dionysus. At least he invented something useful. I have nothing to show except bad film adaptations of my life. Piper turned on the charm speak. That's horribly sad, Lord Hercules. But please go easy on us. We're not bad people. She thought she'd succeeded. Hercules hesitated. Then his jaw tightened, and he shook his head. On the opposite side of this of this island, over those hills, you find a river. And in the middle of that river lies the gold god Achilles. Hercules waited as if this information should send him running in terror. And... Jason asked. And, Hercules said, I want you to break off his other horn and bring it to me. He has horns? Jason said. Wait, his other horn? What? Figure it out, the god snapped. Here, this should help. He said the word help like it meant hurt. From under his robes, Hercules took a small book and tossed it to his piper. She barely caught it. The book's glossy cover showed a photographic montage of Greek templates and smiling monsters. The Minotaur was giving the thumbs up. The title read, The Hercules Guide to the Mare Nostrum. Bring me that horn by sundown, Hercules said. Just the two of you. No contacting your friends. Your ship will remain where it is. If you succeed, you may pass into the Mediterranean. And if we don't? Piper asked. Pretty sure she didn't want the answer. Well, Achilles, Achilles, Achilles. Achilles will kill you, obviously, Hercules said. And I will break your ship in half with my bare hands and send your friends to an early grave. Jason shifted his feet. Couldn't we just sing a funny song? I'd get going, Hercules said. Sundown, or your friends are dead. And that's the end of chapter 26. Well, that was definitely a very climactic, uh, very climactic ending right there. Um... Yeah, I wasn't too sure on exactly what the relationship of Hercules and Hera was prior to this. But now that we found out what exactly happened, it's kind of shocking. I mean, to be uh, to be clear, it's also not shocking how Hera has managed to also ruin another relationship with another demigod, as she usually does. But it's quite odd to see how exactly, you know, Hercules just completely changed emotion just as soon as he heard the he heard the name Hera all of his all of everything just changed you know I think the amount of resentment and anger he has held against her it just I guess it he needs to take it out in some way and I guess he's taking it out on these two which is not fair obviously but 
it is unfortunate. It is, it is unfortunate, and it is also unfortunate that they realized that Hera was her is Hercules's mortal enemy after they said that Hera forced them to do this quest. So not much can be done there. But I have faith in these guys because you know they're part of the prophecy of the seven. So hopefully they have the ability to do so. I believe in their ability to do so. So yeah. But other than that, uh, I hope you guys really, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Until next week, we'll just have to see how well they fare in this combat at trying to navigate the island and hopefully getting that other horn. We'll have to see. Hopefully it works. Um, I hope my pronunciations were a bit better. Kind of a lot of, um, a lot of uncertainty on some of those words there, but I will try my best to continue to improve and yeah thank you very much you guys for all of your uh thank you guys for listening to this episode thank you for guys for giving your feedback thank you guys for listening to this podcast as a whole and yeah uh one more thing if you'd like to show some extra support i have the link to my patreon in the uh, in, in the description of my podcast again totally optional no 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 need to be no need to do it but if you guys do do it i genuinely thank you from the bottom of my heart um yeah so other than that uh until next week and forever onwards i hope you guys stay safe and stay out of boredom